This morning is going to be a lot of fun. This morning is going to be challenging. It's going to be tough on some of us, but I want you to stay with me. Very, very few pastors today even open the book of James and look at the book of James. And I want you to open the book of James with me, if you will, right now. And I want to share some things with you out of James, and then we'll kind of unpack it as we go. James is an incredible guy. James speaks on the imperative, meaning this, that James tells it like it is. He doesn't just believe that that faith is is where you stop. Faith is where it begins in Christ Jesus. That faith has legs. That faith that faith does something because it's who we are. It's what we believe. It's amazing when you study the book of James. He talks about trials and tribulations. He talks about how we're not to favor the rich over the poor. He talks about how no one can tame the tongue. He talks about there's there's basically two kinds of wisdoms. I, I, two kinds of wisdom. I love this. Because this is where I came up with this saying that knowledge and wisdom are different. This comes from James chapter 3. Knowledge and wisdom are different. You can have knowledge to know something. You can have a ton of knowledge about something, but wisdom is the ability to apply to apply what you know. If you notice in James chapter 3 verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from what? Wisdom. It's not just in the knowing. We call it the difference between orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is the ability to know. Orthopraxy is putting what you know into action, that you activate your faith. He goes on and talks about, don't boast about tomorrow, for today is all you're given. So today is the day of the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. He talks about having patience in your suffering. He talks about elders. He doesn't say it this way, but I would say it this way, that the elders are are supposed to smell like sheep. Get out there. Get in it. Get in the pen. James is tough. James is harsh. James calls it the way he sees it. James is known as an applicable book. If you would please stand for the reading this morning coming from James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance or perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Look, wouldn't it be great to be mature, to be made complete, not lacking in anything? He continues to say, and if any of you lacks Wisdom, he should ask God who gives. And notice how he gives. He gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. You may be seated. James really does call it the way it is. He's fun for me to read. Now let's talk about some, some things about James. There's, there's some things that are, that are incredible about him. James is a man of imperatives. Like I said, he doesn't make suggestions. James, he doesn't ask nor care about your opinions or the opinions of others in his day. He deals with function and not theory. He's talking about what's functional in our Christian faith. He's not concerned about your theories or your theoretical ideas or your Google theology. That's not James. He's not concerned with all that. He is concerned about your demonstration and not so much about your declaration. 
Let me say this again. He is concerned about your demonstration and not so much about your declaration. This is James. James is so powerful. It's such a book of action telling us to, to get involved, to be involved, that our faith should have legs. It should move with us, among us. It should be what and who we are, not just who and what we are about. And so this is interesting to me about James. You know, James is known as, as several, has several different terms. He's known as James the righteous, knowing that it is as it should be between himself and his Lord. James is, uh, some would, would call him James the less. There are two that supposedly had that term identified with their names. If it's identified with the author of this book, he's James the lesser simply because he's lesser than his brother Jesus. Right? That's his half-brother, by the way. James, one of the peculiar terms about James is he's known as James the Camel. You may not have known this. He's known as James the Camel because of his knees. They said his knees were so disformed from praying so much that he could barely get around. And that they were so swollen at all times that they looked like the knees on a camel, and yet he refused to stand when he prayed simply on his knees. James, it's interesting to me how he, how he begins his letter here. James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just start right there because I could preach on that for a long time. This looks real similar to the way his brother Jude wrote his uh, a beginning of his letter, right? He's a bond servant is what he says. That comes from a Greek word known as kurios. And that Greek word kurios simply means a master. And, and then you have this, this servant term that he uses, doulos, which is slave, right? And he's saying, I'm a slave, watch this, to my brother. Now, he doesn't say it that way. He says, to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's two doctrines this morning that are going to unfold in front of you that were new to the Jews that James was called to. I know that he was called to the Jews because he says to the 12 tribes of Israel's that are, of Israel that is scattered abroad. Meaning that now the church is under persecution. Now, uh, the Jews who accepted Christ are starting to be persecuted to a massive degree where they're running for their lives. And James is saying, hey, hey, you know what? I want you to see something because I'm using a familiar term, this term kurios, which means master, that they used. The Jews were familiar with this because it was a term they used for their Lord. And he says, hey, I'm just one who serves him. I'm a bond servant. That word bond servant means really a slave to this. So he not only uses it there, but he uses this article right before Jesus Christ. He says, a bondservant, right, to, to the Lord and to thee, Jesus Christ. That is an article that's actually found in the Greek. And what he's saying is, is not only do we remember, it's not just God the Father, it's also God the Son. It's through what he's done, it's through his suffering, it's through his resurrection that we too can suffer and know that we win in the end. And so James is, is a very powerful man of God, and yet the credentials that he could have used, he could have said, hey, guess what? I'm the firstborn of Mary and Joseph. He was. I mean, it's interesting. He has so much humility. 
to, to, to even be considered in who he was. He, he, he could have said, hey, not only did I sleep in the same bed, Jesus as my half-older brother carried me around on his shoulders. Oh my goodness, you think you know the Lord? Let me tell you about the Lord. In 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 15, you'll have to check me on this. He has a visitation of the resurrected God. He could have used so many things and, and spoken about these credentials, but he doesn't because he's a humble servant, a bond slave to his heavenly father who is his half-brother. It's, it's interesting to me because there's another James. Actually, there's four other James. I mean, even James himself. When you study about James, what you'll find out is he's probably the first epistle written in the New Testament. We're pretty sure of that, but he would be the last one accepted into our canon. You know why? Because there's four other James. Which James wrote this? Who is it? But through deduction, we know who wrote it. We know this truly is the half-brother of Jesus. There was one James that's known as James, James the Greater. Maybe you've heard of him, one of the sons of Zebedee. James and John, the sons of thunder, the ones that brought He was known as James the Greater, powerful man of God, powerful disciple of Jesus Christ. However, he was not a half-brother. He too would find himself as a bond slave. Some wanted to see and prove that he was the author of this book, but King Herod uh, killed him. He was actually the first martyr, martyred apostle for Jesus back in about 45 AD. It's real interesting to study this, but what you'll find is this James, this James uh, is James the righteous. I mean, he's, he's James the camel. He's the one who spends so much time on his knees. And he says this, I want to, I want you to remember all of you that are Jews out there that have come to Christ because he was called to the Jews. Paul was called to the Gentiles. He's, he's also, I mean, uh, James, he could have used this credit. He's first apostle or the first bishop over the church at Jerusalem voted on unanimously pastored that church for years in mega first mega church known as the mother church if you will he didn't use all those credentials he just dump, jumps in here through his humility and he simply says james a bond servant of god and to the lord jesus christ jesus also holds that title curios god the father god the son and God the Holy Spirit, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. <laughs> They're scattered because of the persecution. So now he says, hey, greetings. How's your life going? How you liking life today? Yeah, we've not only been invaded, we're being persecuted. It's very similar to a second diaspora. We're being scattered throughout the nations now. Greetings. And then notice what he says. He says, consider it all a joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So here is, I want you to see this. This is a second part. This is a second type of theology that he begins to unpack right here. He says, look, there's a formula that many people miss, and I don't want you to miss it. Consider it a joy. When you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. 
Now, this is amazing to me because most of us, when we encounter various trials, how do we look? How do we respond? Oh, poor, pitiful me. Are you serious? God, how can you allow this to happen to me? I just had my keys in my pocket. Are you serious? I'm late. Who put that train on the train tracks? My kids are late for school. When we enter various trials. Now, um, uh, there's there's some things here because this this term trials is something we've got to pay attention to. What are trials? Uh, some of us would take trials to the extremes, and and you can to some degree. However, some of us have experienced great loss. Some of you have experienced great loss, and he's not going down that road with them. He's just saying, look, we are we are really being tried because of our faith today. Now, some will lose their life. James would lose his life because of his faith as well. And he talks about these trials, but I just want you to know that all of us enter trials, no matter how severe they are, no matter how mild they are, even possibly today, there is something trying your faith, testing your faith right now at this moment. And what he's saying is, I'm going to give you a formula. If every time your faith is tested through a trial, what if you found joy instead of sorrow? What if you knew that the Prince of Peace was the Prince of your life? What if you fully understood the power of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus thereafter? Then could you find joy in yourself? Because if you'll go to this, it begins to change us. It begins to sow a seed that every trial begins to water this seed. And all of a sudden we have joy. I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness is a fleeting emotion. I'm talking about a deep embedded joy. Have you ever given someone bad news and they just have a grin on their face? One time I fired a person and they were just like. And I was like, man, you're not, you're not getting this. Tomorrow you're not coming back to work. I, I, it hurts my heart. It's not working out. And he did like, you know why? Because he knew he wasn't where he was supposed to be. He had walked with the Lord. Yeah, it was a trial in his life, but he considered it a joy in the days of senior pastor. It's, it's amazing to me how people who have this deep embedded joy can just live life. And with every trial, it's almost like it waters a seed of joy in their life because they understand that this life is fleeting. James even says this life is but a breath. It's here today, gone tomorrow. So it's what, what's last, what lasts for eternity is the faith that we have. But if any of you lacks wisdom, Oh, well, let's go to verse four first. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So what happens is the more trials we go through in life, the longer you live life, the more trials you're going to have. I'm sorry to warn you and caution you, but there it is. And the longer you live, all of a sudden it seems like there's more tragedies. There's more trials. Now, tragedies and trials aren't necessarily the same thing, but they all, they both prevent a trial in your life. And, and basically what he's saying, but they'll produce something in you. They're, they're going to make you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach. That's important for us to see that in the context that it's written. Most of us don't go to the Lord when we're in trials. We might to some degree, but what he's saying is, why don't you ask wisdom about your trial? This is in context of what it's, how it's written. So he's saying, hey, here's an applicable point. 
Too many times we say, why me, why me, why this, why them, why? And what he's saying is if you want application tied to this, go to the Lord and be sincere in your why. Go to the Lord and ask for wisdom through this. How can I show your goodness, your greatness, and see others come into your kingdom, right, through, through you making me complete? See, when we're, when we're real before our Lord, that's what he's looking for. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that person ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Our faith has to be anchored. Now the brother or sister of humble circumstances is to glory in his high... Or is... Let me see. Now the brother or sister of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, saying that, look, just because you don't hold a high position out here, you hold one here. Because you are seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. But the rich person is to glory in his humiliation or her humiliation because like flowering grass, they too shall pass away. We're all, whether rich or poor, in the same ship. (laughs) We're in it. And if you're a Christian, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's talk about this thing known as joy, God's joy. I love this because I want to start here with God's joy. We don't think of our God as being a joyful God. Most of us grew up thinking God is a vindictive God, and every time we sin, he's sitting there with a long ruler from the heavens going, whack! And it hurts. Or he wants to smote us. Or smite us. He, he, God is not for us. He's against us. We've got to learn to live our lives beyond an angry God because our God is not angry. He is just. He's not angry. And God has an inexpressible joy that so oftentimes we miss in Scripture. Romans chapter 14 says, The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. If God's kingdom houses this joy, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's God too, that His kingdom is inhabited with His joy. Please get this. Please get it. Because... If his kingdom has joy, it would make sense that the king of the kingdom would have joy. And we tend to miss this in Scripture. You know, even last week, I talked about verse 24 as we finished up Jude Code 9-11. That's why I wanted to go straight to James, because we got two half-brothers here writing epistles. And when we looked at the doxology of what Jude had written, the doxology there says this, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, that Jesus is going to present us before the heavenly Father without fault. And notice how he penned that, with great joy. That Jesus himself, the Jesus Christ, is full of joy. God the Father is full of joy. God the Holy Spirit is full of joy. And this joy as we receive one another in Christ continues to build. I love seeing someone who accepts me and receives me in joy. It just enlightens my heart 
It's the people of God who have a relationship with God that learn that we're not all at the same place in our faith. We're all being made a disciple. And so, praise God, we're all in his house and we come together with his inexpressible joy saying, enter into the house of my master, into the joy of his presence. Because our God is full of joy. Okay, Hebrews 12. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. (laughs) You put a cross in front of me and tell me you're going to go hang me on it, and I'm going to say, that's joyful. Come on now. No. But for Jesus, that was the case. For the joy that was set before him, what was that joy? Well, he's, he's a joyful God. And he knew that through this propitiation for sins, this sacrifice that was going to be made on the altar, once and for all, the blood that would be shed, that now the joy that was beyond that cross were his people that he's going to get to have in his kingdom forever. That's what it is. And it's so powerful that God has this this inexpressible, if you will, joy about him. That's our God. Now let's talk about our joy. Because James is concerned about what our joy is looking like when our faith gets tested. He gives us this formula. When brothers and sisters have trials, we have an opportunity is what he says. So he says, uh, consider it all a joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now, I, I, I love this because he's saying, hey, here's the formula. That with every trial comes an opportunity for you to express joy when it doesn't make sense. That's a tough one. But that's where we're called to grow in Christ. Because listen, church, the reason why is the same reason Jesus could go to the cross joyfully. Because we win. For God did not send His Son to condemn the world is what John 3, 17 says but to save the world through him. That's why we can have inexpressible joy. In the end, we win. But the way to win today, because we don't just live for the end. He's called us here today. We find that joy. We pray to him. We look for his guidance. Do we see trials as opportunities? It's tough, but James understands the persecution that is taking place among his people, among the people of the church. And it brings us to a different perspective, this place of joy. Mark Twain said it this way. He said, to get the full value of joy, you must have someone else to divide it with. Mark Twain. Truth is truth. Yes, but it's not all biblical truth. But he makes a great point here. In order for us to really enjoy joy, We must have someone to divide it with, and that's where Jesus has given us His kingdom full of joy. And then the cool thing is we go through this, we 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 get this endurance. We get a, a faith that endures the trials, it endures the tribulation, it endures the hardships. It's an incredible thing when we can be a people of endurance. Many years ago in high school, I ran the 300 hurdles. I love to share this story. And, and I went to a meet, um, down in Odessa, Permian, and the two 
fastest guys in the state of Texas were in my heat. A huge meet. There are like 12 heats in the 300 hurdles. Both of them have my heat. I'm like, I know I'm not going to make the finals. Come on now. But I had lane one. They had lanes two and three. And so I, I, I get in the starting blocks, and uh, I had told a couple of people, I said, y'all watch this, I'm going to get my name announced on the PA. Now, I had a couple of ideas how that would happen. <laughs> one was if some, one of them blew by me, I was going to try to trip them up, you know, just a little bit. But the true one was I was going to blow out of there like I was running a 100-meter sprint. If you know anything about 300 hurdles, they hurt. And so the gun goes off, and I'm talking about I came out, and bam, I hit the first hurdle before they did, second hurdle before they did, third hurdle. I came into the straightway and over the PA at Odessa. <laughs> Curtis House, lane one, comes out of the turn. Tulia, Texas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All of a sudden, my side started hurting. I, I'm talking about like a pain, like I, I don't know that I considered it a joy. As a matter of fact, I can promise you I didn't. And my jaw has never done this before. My jaw started hurt. I mean, just like on fire. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to make that next one. And these two guys blow by me. And I, the only thing that pulled me to the next hurdle, hurdle was their jet wash that just kind of sucked me. <laughs> but here's what happened. I walked over, pushed the last hurdle over and still place third in that heat. That's the truth. And, 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 and here's the coolest thing. I ran the fastest time I'd ever run. I didn't, miss the, I didn't make the finals. I placed eight out of seven. <laughs> I was almost, but not quite, once again in my life. But I will tell you this, that I know that the more I practiced and tried and would run and push, and, and go through those trials, every great coach has the ability to call the champion out of their players. And what I love about coaches is they're saying, you can do it. You can run harder. You can go faster. You're better than what the world tells you. I'm going to tell you who you really are. And this is Jesus, in a way, coaching us and James saying, hey, you need this endurance because we need to finish the race. We need to get healthy in our Lord. And the other thing about this is just kind of looking at that in the context of how it was written. The testing of our faith produces endurance. The testing of our faith produces endurance. This testing, when you look that up in the Greek, it's an interesting word. Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 13, Jesus says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Now this word find is very similar to this word testing. And that means to discover, to prove, or to travel by. So, so what he's saying is, look, you need to prove out your faith through this testing. You got to prove it out. Because as you do, you gain endurance for the next trial because one's coming. James makes that promise. The Lord, he reminds us that in this world, you will have troubles is what Jesus says. But as we go through that, if we'll pay attention to what's taking place and what, what they knew was this, 
that every great silversmith, you will find the refining of silver all throughout Scripture. I had this conversation with Wade yesterday morning. You'll find this all throughout Scripture. One of his devotionals this past week had another Scripture that dealt with the refining of silver. It deals with endurance. And the way that they would refine silver in that day and time, they would, the, the silversmith would, would bring, uh, uh, boiling temperature of this substance known as silver, but it had all kinds of impurities in it. And they, when it hit a certain temperature, all the dross would come to the top. You've probably heard this. And they would clean that dross off, but they would cool it back down. And then they would test it again. They'd fire it back up and heat it back up and dross would come to the top, all the impurities, and they would take it off. And they didn't have all the scientific stuff that we have today. So the way that they knew silver was pure is when they could see their image in it. When their image was reflecting back who they were and who they are. And that only happened through taking it through test and trial after trial after trial. And eventually, this is, this is where the apostles going, Apostle Paul is going in Colossians 3, that when we behold him, we begin to see as though in a mirror the reflection of our Father and that we are created in His image. When the impurities are tested out from us. If you're struggling with this, I want you to see what James says. Ask God for wisdom. Within the context of this, we should ask for a different perspective when it comes to persecution, when it comes to trials and so forth. Lord, show me. Help me to understand. I once had a man that I roped with all the time and he had a uh, we always warmed up on this dummy that he had. And now a dummy's not somebody. It could be. But it was actually just a, a steer head, right, and, and some hay, and we just sat there and rope it and rope it and rope it. And one day we were out there roping, and he shared this with me. He said, Curtis, I just got a diagnosis of cancer. I'd been praying with him. He never even mentioned that he went in to be tested. And I stopped, and I turned to him, and I said, oh, my goodness. He said, oh, don't worry about me. The Lord's already shown me something. I said, what is it? He said, I'm going to be a prayer dummy for many. Speaking of the dummy we're roping, practicing, he said, many people are going to practice their faith on me. Saw it much differently. I wanted to, to go down this time of grief. Instead, I watched him get healed. I'm talking about completely healed. An amazing thing, right? Look, our faith is going to be tested in many, many ways. Many times we're challenged even through our values, through our morals. I mean, we have politicians, we have professors, we have scoffers who are bound to come and ridicule this life that we live as Christians. But remember, it doesn't change the truth, regardless of what they believe. We look like fools today, but there will come a day, a day that no one escapes, that we will be either pulled into Jesus' Jesus's side or pulled into the, the depths or the abyss of hell. Noah looked silly building an ark in the desert. Abraham looked silly while raising the blade over Isaac. David looked silly facing a giant while stating, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God. He looked silly when he did that, when he made that declaration, that proclamation, when he had gone through all these different trials, but he had seen God as he went through those trials. He had killed a lion, if you remember, with his, with his hands or maybe his slingshot. A bear. 
He had, he had practiced. He had been through trials in his life, and he would enter into many more trials. He looked foolish, and I'm sure, as a matter of fact, we know that Goliath chided him. Imagine all the Philistines that stood behind him. And yet at the same time, he says that all the earth, because of what's about to happen through this trial, through this testing, all the earth is going to know that there's a God. You see, Jesus was mocked and scoffed for the, by the very ones that he would lay his life down for. What others say doesn't change the truth of God's word. Church, we've got to remember that. Oh, you listen to a Bible that was written 2,000 years ago that, that the Council of Trent couldn't even make a decision on the book of James that you're preaching through. Careful with all that. It doesn't change the truth of God's Word. Don't let anyone convince you on this side of the shore to neglect or throw away an eternity that awaits for us on the other. That's called endurance that gets us from one side to the other. Jesus even told his disciples, let's get in the boat and go to the other side midway across what happens, a great storm. And if you remember that great storm, Jesus is asleep in the stern. They wake him up and say, hey, you got to help us. We're going to drown. And basically Jesus gets up and says, oh, ye of little faith. I mean, he shuts the storm down and everything else, but they forgot what he said at the beginning. Let's go to the other side. You can trust God's Word. It is true. There are going to be trials. The testing of your faith, though, is going to produce an endurance to make the other side. C.S. Lewis said it this way, and this is going to be the book of James as we unpack it over the next few weeks. There are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, Thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, They will be done. James. The historical account of James, if you know it at all, Eventually, they would take him to the top of the temple and they would throw him off to his death. But when he hit the ground, by all rights, he should have been dead, but he wasn't. And he rolled over, and as the story goes, he got on his knees and they began to kick him. They began to punch him. They began to stone him to his death because they were all shocked that he was not dead. But as he rolled over, he was on his knees. And they said he was praying for the very ones that were persecuting him. Old camel knees. But he had enough endurance to say, I love them enough that I will give my prayers for them in my last moments. He had endurance through the testing of his own faith. Would you please stand this morning? I'm going to ask the altar team to make their way forward this morning. We're here for you. We're here for you online as well. Get in touch with us online. There are numbers that come up. Uh, we're posting things every day of the week of how to get in touch with us so that we can pray with you and for you. The cool thing about what happened in James' time is that Christianity began to spread through the suffering and the persecution rapidly to the point of the third century. Uh, Constantine himself had a vision. And the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, would expand the kingdom even further. When you are tested, know if you will let that seed of joy in you be watered through that testing, it will impact the generations to come and provide the peace of God for them as well. Father God, I thank you for each one here this morning. Father, I pray that, Lord, by faith alone, Martin Luther considered the book of James just a 
he said it's it, it's like a hay straw. And then later on he would say, no, it's one of the greatest books I've read. He thought it was works righteousness. Then he learned that through our faith, it produces works where James was. Great things. It's a both and. Father, if there are those today, Father, who are going through trials and just need us to stand in the gap, let us do that. Let them see that by putting feet to their prayers, that there's an answer awaiting and there's endurance that waits and perseverance. Father, I also pray this morning for those who don't know you. I hope that they heard your message this morning. You did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world through you. Let them come forward and receive you as Lord of their lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.